Welcome back to the Hoops Temple podcast, a basketball podcast which discusses actual basketball things and not the upcoming socialist revolution. I'm Nathan Schwartz. Joining me from Sacramento. Me, it's Aaron Schroeder, Possible Chairs on TikTok. We do talk about basketball stuff and not the upcoming socialist revolution. And joining us from New Zealand. Hello, everybody. It is me in the afternoon. My name is Dylan. And we have actual NBA news. Something happened. Which, of course, is not where the podcast is going to start because we have a brief five-minute discussion about the Euro League and what's going on over there, as well as a few players, which I'm not cutting. Hope you guys enjoy the show. Howdy, howdy. How's it going, man? Yeah, how are you doing? Doing good. Sunday evening. Always fun. Yes, sir. You have a nice time? I had a, I had work this morning. It's just, it's it's brutal sometimes. How's it going, Don? What's up? Dylan's already eating something. <laughs> Why does this always happen? <laughs> if we're in, it's 100% in your control. <laughs> If we're eating, if we're interrupting like dinner or something, just let us know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how does this keep happening? having a pre-pod snack. Just, okay. This is the pod. food in my hand. Are you guys watching uh, the Euro, uh, the, was it the FIBA? The FIBA stuff, watching Sabonis block shots and Gobert post people up. It's a whole oh. new world. <laughs> Man, I, I can't do Euro basketball as much as I would like to because I watch it. And I wildly start overrating guys. Like mm-hmm. the last Olympics when Fournier and Gobert just locked down the US and Fournier was like being a pick and roll scorer and shot creator. I'm like, damn, the Knicks got this guy? Like, all right. <laughs> it's all weirdly right. a different sport. It's hard to tell that it is, but it, there's just little tweaks to it that make it just almost completely different. There's some really nice things to it. Oh, yeah. I love the fact that they just got rid of the take foul. Like, hey, boom, you you do that, it's instant, uh, instant two shots and ball back. Like, mm-hmm. great, don't do that shit. Great, you got to make a basketball play. It's not even that hard to officiate. Yeah, I I kind of like the um the offensive basket interference rules that you can touch it above the cylinder once it touches yeah. once. It's just free. It's just free reign. Yeah, I don't know what that adds. I don't know what that's doing, but I kind of like it. It kind of like makes. It, like playing around the basket more valuable and maybe i'd like to see that kind of come back but they can they can um pull it off internationally because in phoebe there aren't three different guys at all times that could just like jump up and grab the ball off of the rim that's a good point i kind of want to see them do it with three different guys that can grab the ball yeah off once it touches the rim boom someone's putting it back in i remember when dwight went to the olympics and he was giving that a try and i was like ooh, okay this is if this becomes a real rule like in the nba that's gonna be just a dominant thing for Dwight. Can you imagine like Derek Jones Jr. just grabbing it like five feet off the five feet off the rim? Yeah. Just jumping up there. Also, I absolutely hate that like, hey, I got my own offensive rebound. And I'm gonna try to put it back up in and it like hits the backboard, then like hits the rim and then kind of bounces around. Like if you do that and someone else comes by and just swats it out, I'm down for it. Like finish strong or don't do it at all. Be some cool defensive plays. Also missed the trapezoid lane. I loved the trapezoid lane. Yeah, are like stats available for the trapezoid lane? No, for the the World Cup or for the basketball World Cup. 
I was reading a breakdown of it on ESPN, just like, hey, yesterday's games, here's what happened um, with some very minor stats. Gershon Yabusele having having a nice run. <laughs> is that how you is that how you say that? <laughs> Gershon is Yabusele? That is just, I don't think I've ever tried to say his name aloud, and I, I don't I'm glad I never <sighs> attempted it. <laughs> I mean, I, I could be hundred percent wrong. <laughs> Let me see what it says on that. Is that right? Yeah, that's like at least the if it's wrong, it's like wrong in the way that everyone else is it. Uh, according to Basketball Reference, it's Gershon and then Yabu Sele. Okay, that's that's, that's close Gershon enough. Take that. Yeah, yeah, I'll take it. Where's he from? Oh, he's French. Yeah, but Congolese name. Johnny Musa, Musa of uh, Bosnia and Hernan Gomez had a had a nice game as well. It's hard to tell the level of competition. Because like Patty Mills just destroys this level of competition. I don't know if you remember, guys. I'm sure you guys remember that in yeah. the Olympics and whatnot. Um, I remember him going to the Nets, and people are like, "This is over." Patty Mills is the best point guard on earth, and I think he averaged like three points for them. But yeah, I put him in my top 100 after that. <laughs> was he? Was he over Sabonis? <laughs> oh, could you imagine? <laughs> I think he was. I can pull up. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he was. <laughs> I don't know why I listened to you, Don. <laughs> uh, he has a way with words that's very convincing. Doesn't he? I swear to God, it's just uh, you can convince me of anything, Vascar related. You remember that run in like the mid seventies? We were like, hey, I'm I'm a team up with Aaron on this guy, and hey, I'm a team up with Nate on this guy. Yeah. And then as soon as we get wise to it, you're like, you know, <laughs> let's maybe break away from this structure because this is no longer serving my best interest. <laughs> and here's a here's a completely logical reason why. Mills was better than I thought he was last year for Brooklyn, but I think there was like a post All Star break slump for him that was just really bad. Yeah, am I remembering? Am I am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. They bought in Goran Drogic, who didn't play the entire year, and then like immediately played him over Mills. Yeah, the Mills can't have been that good. Mills is Mills is thirty four. He's six one. Like it's just not a great track record. Yeah. Well, and Mills playing with Drogic, playing with Kyrie, and playing with Seth Curry. Like you've got three small, yeah. or four small guards that none of whom play defense. It's just the worst constructed roster in the league. Yeah, but man, I would take those guys as backup point guards on a lot of teams. If you can't start five backup point guards. Oh, yeah. But like if you spread them out, like a lot of teams would be really happy for those guys. So Petty Mills shot 40% on seven threes per game in his 81 games. for the That's Nets. pretty good. That's pretty Played good. 29 minutes per game. What's most impressive is that 70% of his shots were three-pointers. All he did was go out there and shoot. That sounds like a blast, man. Only from three. Sounds like my buddy Nick and pickup. Just three-point line and three-point line. We have a big trade to talk about. Yeah, we do. Yeah, Exciting we do. Stuff. Finally, the offseason has hit. Something has happened. As soon as KD says, you know what, I'll stick it out with Brooklyn, we start having a little cascade of things. Gentlemen, do you want to start on the Cleveland side, the New York side, or the Jazz side of things? Let's do Cleveland. I think it's the most uh, obvious direction with it of the deal for them. I didn't wasn't crazy about it at first, but the more I thought about it, I'm like, this is perfect. That's exactly what they needed. I don't think they gave up a crazy amount, especially given their core. This is going to be a really good team just next season, and they could get better going forward. 
Uh, yeah, we just finished our projections on win totals and had them kind of a, a mediocre sort of team based on essentially the fact that we thought their defense would be really good. You know, they've got possibly the best defensive 4-5 combo in the league next year. But it was just that their offense wasn't that great. They needed more creators, they needed more scoring, they needed more shooting. So we projected them as being kind of, you know, mediocre on offense. And then one team that I was super high on that, well, compared to everyone else, was the Utah Jazz, based on the fact that Donovan Mitchell creates really good scoring and really good offenses. And so you now combine that awesome defense of the Cavs and give them the best shooting guard in the conference, then all of a sudden you've now got a team that could be realistically at least top 10 on both ends of the floor. Can we verify that he's the best shooting guard in the conference? And also, before we get any further, Nate, do you have the full trade in front of you? No, I do not. I, okay, I can go over it. I'm not sure why I asked you that, because I have in front of me. I'm <laughs> testing you. Making sure you're ready. <laughs> it sounds so good with Nate's host voice. I, I'm going to try to do it by memory, just because I don't... I, I, I've soured on this trade, and I, I'll get to why. But to the, my best of memory, he clap. Yeah, Cleveland sent out three unprotected first-round picks as well as two swaps. They reserved the right to keep their 2024 pick, which is key to them. So they must have given up 25, 27, 29 swaps in 26 and 28. They also sent Lowry Markinen, Abaji, and Colin Sexton. That's all correct. Yes. All right. A pretty reasonable number for him as well. Now, I want to tell you guys, Colin Sexton... Two years ago, when he wasn't injured, averaged 24.3 points, 4.4 assists on 57.3% true shooting. Donovan Mitchell last season, 25.9 points, 5.3 assists, 57.2% true shooting. These are nearly identical numbers that you've now given up three first round picks, two swaps, your starting small forward, the rookie that you drafted to your team based on him filling the need of being a 3 and D wing for almost identical production. Is it though, Nate? It's not. Sexton even gets it's to not. line more than Mitchell, which is like a key indicator of driving good offense. That Cavs team won 22 games. They're the worst offense in the league. There's just a little, you know, production on bad teams, production on good teams. There's, there's a little bit, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. But I'm just telling you, by the numbers, he's doing it with the same level of efficiency. He's like to do it with the same level. Like, I'm not just saying production wise, because if it's just production. Yeah, it's usually worse when you're on a bad team or I mean, you can have better production, like the good stats, bad team. But he's doing it with the same level of efficiency. Like he he's hitting all of the key benchmarks that you want to see. He's hitting it the same amount from three. He's getting the line more often. And I don't know if the difference between him and Mitchell is worth three first, two swaps, you're starting small forward, and Abaji, as well as the fact that Sexton was in like a no-win scenario. You could have gotten, like, he's not going to go somewhere else. He's eventually going to have to take that four-year, $44 million deal if you don't flip him for something. So then you have him on a really good contract. Like, I, I don't I don't know that I'm I'm 100% in on this. I do think Mitchell is better, and I think that it's an upgrade. But I was looking back at our rankings. I had them in sixth, and now I'm moving them to fifth. Like they they haven't. I mean, did you guys start looking back at your your win totals and start readjusting them? How high did you move them up? Where did you go, Dylan? I had initially readjusted. Um, why don't I just eyeball it? Let's do. 
I think they could win like 50, like 53 games, 54 games. That puts them at least in, in my rankings at in the thirds in the three seed. Did we did we remember to rank Colin Sexton in our top 100? I feel like we forgot about him. I feel like we forgot about him too. I think we remembered him. I just don't think he was too strong of a case. Dang. Nate, Nate <laughs> disagrees. Apparently no, he's, think, he's just as good as Donovan Mitchell is. Yeah, I think maybe we should have considered him more um, because I do think you're right, Nate, that people have really forgotten about how effective he was as a scorer. Um, he's kind of gotten this reputation um, based on like this theoretical role that he's just going to be this like Lou Williams bench scorer. But that hasn't been his role for his career, you know. Like you said, he put up an efficient 24 points per game. I was thinking about it as I was driving home today. Like, I think his reputation is going to be, by the time we get to sort of the end of this season, much closer to like a Shea Gilgis-Alexander than to Lou Williams. This is a guy that's going to put up high-scoring numbers on good efficiency and on a really, really bad team. This is exciting. We kind of have different angles on this. I was expecting us to just hype the Cavs up as contenders, but here we are. I didn't really think about, I really didn't think about that, how close it is. I have a fun little exercise here because I was really trying to trying to think through this because the whole thing is like, this is a really great move for Cleveland two, three years down the road when Evan Mobley develops more and provided Jaron Allen stays about the same, maybe gets a little bit better. But like this is this is supposed to be setting them up for the future. So it will take us a while to get back to Utah if we go down this path and we won't even discuss the Knicks. But do you guys want to do a little game with me called who's got a better core of under 25 year old players? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Where, where do the Cavs rank among under 25 cores post Donovan Mitchell trade? How old is Mitchell? Mitchell is 25. Okay, 25 and under. 25 and under. Um, and I'm really just doing this if you were born in 97. So I don't care if you're born in 96, but haven't quite had your birthday yet. We're, we're just going straight 97 and under. All right. So I, I think the best core, which is really just, uh, just four players, is the Boston Celtics with Jason Tatum, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, and Peyton Pritchard. Nothing nothing too fancy. Jalen Brown is just a hair above. Mm. He'll turn 26 soon. Were you thrilled about that? Can you say that one more time? Yeah. Uh, Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, and Peyton Pritchard. Okay. Go for it. What are we comparing this to? It's a really strong top. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that that core is better than Cleveland? Do you want to give us the full Cleveland 25 and under core? All right. Because I'm not so sure. The 25 and under Cleveland core is going to be Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, Darius Garland, Isaac Okoro, and Evan Mobley. I take the Cleveland core a thousand times out of a thousand. Really? Every single time. I just don't think they have anyone on Tatum's level. I don't like any of those other guys. Yeah, no, that's essentially the point I was making. Is like That is really tough because Boston has really the perfect number one. Like Tatum is... The exact guy that you'd want as the head of your core, you know, a wing that can score and play both ends and is versatile and skilled. Like, that's the exact guy that you want. But the rest is like a, a good starter, good bench guy, and like a fringe rotation guy. Whereas the Cavs are coming through with four all stars. All right. Like all right. four potential yeah. all stars. Okay. So you guys like them more than Boston. That's fine. That's fine. And, and, and the thing too is that we're like projecting ahead and what Evan Mobley could be is like right at Jason Tatum's level. And Donovan Mitchell is like for sure like a tier, maybe two tiers below, but like he's right up there. He's a an elite scoring guard. All right. All right. The second team I have on this 
is the New Orleans Pelicans with Brandon Ingram, Zion, Herb Jones, Jose Alvarado, a mismatch platter of Trey Murphy, Jackson Hayes, Kyra Lewis, this Dyson Daniels, but really Brandon, Zion, and Herb. It's closer. I love Evan Mobley. I, I think he could just be so dominant. The skill set's so good. Good, good. And just with the with the Cavs, what they're doing right now, maybe slightly off topic, but I'm just picturing Garland and Mitchell scoring like 70 points combined with scoring and assists. And their defensive lapses just getting erased by Mobley and Allen. And the, I don't know what the ceiling is on that. Yeah, and if you're comparing it to like the Pelicans core, who I also really like, but Mitchell versus Zion, similar when healthy, Mitchell is a better track record of being healthy and projects to have a longer prime. Garland versus Ingram, fairly similar, both, you know, two sort of pretty good offensive players that don't really give you much defensively. And then like Mobley versus Herb, it's like a really fun matchup, but it's an easy win for the Cavs. And so like, I think the Cavs take that one out as well. Okay. All right. Cavs are going to be a dynasty. <laughs> Third team, Memphis Grizzlies with Ja, Jaron, Desmond Bain, uh, Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman, Big Body Roddy, Zaire Williams, a couple other names we could keep throwing in, but really that's that's the core. Man. That's where it gets a little bit closer because you've got like your, you know, high end offensive guard right at the top, your MVP candidate, and you've got like your potential future all star or like all defensive team guy in Jaron and some like solid starters as well, like Dylan Brooks. So that's a little bit closer. That was that's maybe where I take a team over the Cavs. Just because I think Jar has sort of a higher upside as an offensive driver than what Donovan has. What are you feeling on that one? That's that's kind of where I was at. Um, it mostly comes from Jar. Jar Morant's a really special player, and the pieces around him are good enough. For I think at that point, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't call you crazy if you took Cleveland, but I think I'd go with Memphis. All right, all right. Number four, I got Atlanta with Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and. Uh, a Kong Wu. How old is DeJounte Murray? DeJounte Murray will turn 26 in 15 days, but he was born, uh, he was born in 96. So I was just going 97 and younger. So that way we don't have to deal with that. Like when is their birth date? Makes sense. I, I'd take Cleveland. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. Those all above, all aboard the Evan Mobley hype train. Those were the yeah. basic teams. I thought had a better young core. Um, some other contenders were potentially the, the Denver Nuggets with Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., Bones Highland. But like, they, I, I felt like Cleveland was kind of better than everyone else. You look at the Pistons, there's the Thunder, the Raptors. Um, there, there are other teams with good young t- players. I did consider putting in Dallas just purely because of Frank Nilakina and Luca in that order. Is that all they've got? <laughs> would you Would you rather have Luca and Frank Nilakina or the entire Cavs roster? <laughs> I. I'm still considering Frank Nilakina and Luca. <laughs> I mean, Luca and Frankie Smokes is pretty similar to Tatum and the Williamses. <laughs> so here's my thing: it's in both of your breakdowns and defenses of this trade. You've said you thought Evan Mobley could get there. You thought Evan Mobley could be that guy. In which case, I ask you: Is Donovan Mitchell your third best player on this team? That'd be great for them. It's a great situation if if he is. Doesn't he kind of need to be the third best player on this team for them to be a championship team? I think it's how good teams work. You need someone about Donovan Mitchell's caliber to be your third best guy. 
he can be your second best option or second option or first option sure, offensively sure. even if you get the end. But you need Mobley to continue to get better. You need the ball in Mobley's hands. You need Mobley to do stuff and develop. And now you're just going to stunt him with putting Mitchell there now. I'm, I'm just not fully sold in it. I think this is like, are they better next season than Boston, Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Miami, or Milwaukee? I'd say Miami, yeah. I mean, remember, Miami won the most games last season in the Eastern Conference. Not by much, but they were still the number one seed, and that was with a lot of guys missing a lot of time. I'm kind of in a different spot with Mobley where I feel like his development as a defensive player is going to be fine because he averaged 15 points a game last season. Maybe he averages 15 points again. I don't think he necessarily needs the ball in his hands to continue that like arc. I don't need him getting 25 points a night to see like the vision I have for him. If he can be... 20 and 10 and the best in like Anthony Davis on defense then he's as good mm. as Anthony Davis was this is probably a good question for you two given your um extensive knowledge of basketball history but can you think of like another analogy to like this idealized Cleveland team where you've got Donovan Mitchell as your number one scorer and your second best player and you've got this awesome defensive guy as in Mobley as your best player like is is there a good historical comp for just like your second best player is your scorer and your best player is just like you know the the leader of your team the the defensive identity and the foundation like is there a good comparison for that and that's a good question 2007 san antonio spurs with duncan as the defensive like stalwart and tony parker carrying the offense and so yeah like that's that's sort of the the upside is you've got mitchell as your as your go-to scorer dynamic on-ball player and then Mobley as your still all-star level player on offense and just absolute defensive you know demon yeah. I mean the 07 Spurs are a great team to model after when the championship I know it's not 2007 anymore but well it's also like you're looking at how many teams have done this across history and we'd be like all right 07 Spurs maybe we want to say the 08 Celtics had a best defensive player and then a different guy that was carrying the offense Maybe we could say the 95 Houston Rockets. Hakeem was the defensive anchor and Drexler carried the offense after he got there. That's a bold take. I made a video on Drexler today and that's Hakeem is still like 30 points a night. That's a pushback on a pointless 95 Rockets take. But (laughs) Hey, it was Drexler's 40-point game that got them out of the first. That's true. Just always have to bring that up when people tell me that Hakeem did it by himself. Do you think uh, totally topic by in one of my videos today do you think drexler is one of the like 10 or so best players that year um i believe i commented on that video that he made all nba third team um it, it's rough it's rough because he started off the year really bad like it's a little bit of like hardened player tanking to get out of uh philadelphia or to get uh-huh. out of houston and then gets to brooklyn and has like uh-huh. a really good instant turnaround and is then solid um so i don't know if you could say overall he's one of the 10 best but I think you could definitely say that he finished the year as one of the 10 best. That sounds good. I'll take it. Although, to be fair, Jordan came back in the middle of the year. So, you know, maybe you want to do the ranking like when he started getting good, but before Jordan came back, like maybe there's a sweet spot right in there for your uh, point in time of the rankings. The day before MJ comes back, Clyde Drexler Day. <laughs> it's a national holiday. Everyone celebrates, and Clyde is the best shooting guard in the league. I'm just saying, like, you, you know, as Clyde, you want to be like, yeah, I was the best shooting guard for this first half of the season. <laughs> what happened in the second half? Jordan came back. <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing happened. Just imagine nothing that, happened. like, in your, like, 
you know, sort of everyday life. Like you're like the best guy in your company at your role. You know, like everyone's like, man, Nate's so fucking good at his job. And then just like halfway through the year, there's like, you know, the last guy that had your role just comes back and he's like, all right, guys. And you're like, God damn it, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and he's like legitimately better than me at it. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, I'm really good too, guys. Really? I mean, just, just my point with kind of running through those teams um, and we can keep running through other other teams here. It was like, there's a lot of teams with really good young cores that could be really good in a couple of years. Um but they all require guys to continue taking that progressive leap. Um, and I don't know that I really see any of these Cleveland guys outside of Mobley really having a shot at being top 10. Like, I don't I don't really think Jared Allen really ever gets in the top 20 ever. I, Mitchell's been at that 20 to 30 range for the last several years and hasn't moved up any. Garland keeps rising, but I don't, I don't know that I really see Garland's potential to be a top 20 guy. Like, What is four top 30 players get you though like that team's still pretty good does anyone have that right now it's a good question let's pull up the list <laughs> there's no no way anyone has four top 20 players top, top 30. 30 that's what i'm saying like what if this, i mean I, I don't know maybe it's just it's it's impossible given progressions and being on the same team to have four top 30 guys well there's there's a team that has three top 30 guys i hate it Three top 30, but no top 10. And that is the Minnesota Timberwolves with Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and Rudy Gobert. Nice. In, in, a, in a way, though, those are like kind of similar trades, but like opposite. You know, like the Cavs were this awesome defensive team, this really solid defensive foundation, but couldn't get to a really good offense. Um, and then they trade for a guy that will immediately come in and make you one of the best offenses in the league. And then Minnesota kind of did the opposite. Like they were a top 10 offense. They had an awesome offensive player, but was sucked on defense. And then they bring in a one-man defense. They're kind of similar bits from both teams. Similar but opposite. Can you imagine Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell on the same team? What kind of damage, the havoc they would wreck? God, it's almost like they could be a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense and get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> let's reflect on on the jazz they've tore it down something you're kind of waiting on like the slowest demolition let's say a phrase that has been rarely said in human history let's go to utah (laughs) no one's ever said that (laughs) you're the very first person to ever say that (laughs) gotta get a utah dig in there (laughs) they tore it down they got I, i nate you must really like this for them given how you feel about the Mitchell trade on the Cleveland aspect. So I, I have a couple of apprehensions. Um, one in general, I'm, I'm a big fan of just getting a, a giant haul of picks. Um, so like from that aspect, I, I think they got 13 picks between now and 2029, 13 first round picks between now and 2029 from all of their dealings. Um, and, and they're only going to get more flipping Conley, flipping uh, Bojan. Um I do worry that this team is still too talented to truly tank. I think Dylan had some good points, and I think Sexton is going to be good enough that they could end up just screwing around and getting 30 to 33 wins. So um, that's not something I'm, I'm a huge fan of. I also think that people really overrate the number of picks. I heard Bill Simmons do it again, saying that they got four firsts from Cleveland because of Abaji. And I just want to say, Abaji and Kessler Walker are not the guys that Utah would have wanted. 
they would have taken Usman Diang. They would have taken Nikola Jovic. Like, they should have gone for the high upside swing guys that aren't going to make immediate impacts. Instead, they got the senior guys that are the most NBA ready to play. I mean, like, they're still rookies, so they still won't be great. But, like, they got the wrong guys. So I, I don't like counting these as picks. It's going to keep growing. It'll be six picks and seven picks. And all of a sudden, the Cavs got Rudy Gobert, too. <laughs> is is Mike Conley movable? He's on a two-year, uh, $37 million guaranteed contract, upwards of uh, $46,000. Sorry, $46 million. Yeah. Have kind of seen some buzz recently um, post this trade of just people trying to figure out where the rest of these guys are going to go. And... Nate, how how would you like some Conley Bogdanovich action on the Lakers? I mean, I think it's all I think it's a doable deal with potentially not giving up as much draft capital because Conley has an extra year of his deal. Hmm. I mean, it, it is cap savings it's for Utah to just take Westbrook, so there is some incentive for them to just do that, as well as the fact they can buy him out and be worse. So I, I don't think the Lakers would need to give up both 27 and 29. So I'm I'm not entirely opposed to that deal. The Lakers just have no leverage in that, though. I mean, the leverage is that, like, Mike Conley's, you know, like one of the best guys in the NBA. And he's been good to you and he's been a good, um, been a good soldier. And now you're going in a different direction. You can try to get him to somewhere a little bit nicer. Um, and he's probably... You know, to to your point, if you're asking if he's movable, he's probably you know, well, I think he is. He's negative value on that contract, and so you shift two years of negative value for one year of of massively negative value, and you free up some cap space going forward. The only thing though is that the Jazz, I didn't actually look at the cap implications of this, but they were like a tax team, and so unless they saved a bunch of money, like are they still in the tax? Because you can't be a tanking team and pay luxury tax. And so that might be the concern is, you know, they can't take back extra money. Let's see. Oh, no, they, 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 they came way under. They've, they've got $15 million under the cap now, under the tax. So they saved a lot of money in these moves. So they're fine. I'm curious where Rudy Gay goes. I think whoever offers two seconds for him can just have him. I think he, <laughs> I think he just offer anything for him. Yeah, I don't even think like, was not good like last two year. seconds is an overpay. Two like top fifty-five protected. <laughs> you, like, know how, you know how they get. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, gay. What is gay than a poor man's Carmel Anthony at this point? I can't believe he's still playing. Mm. And he was he was really bad last year. I think he tore his Achilles, if I remember correctly, in Sacramento. Um, and then he went to San Antonio. They're like, like, wow, well, like Rudy Gay's still playing, and then he's played five seasons since then. Like he keeps chugging along. He's like an Achilles success story. Modern medicine. It's a miracle. It's kept Rudy Gay around. I think I saw a tweet. People said like NBA Twitter had gone too far because they were talking about prime Rudy Gay. What is that? That doesn't exist. I thought I thought you meant they went too far and um coming up with the gay six combo. Utah's gonna love that. Yes. <laughs> Rudy Gay and Colin Sex Sexton. I think Utah has a lot more on the cap than than what you're seeing. Are you looking at uh, hoops hype? Yeah, I was just saying. Um, I just go through the um, uh, the Fanspo trade machine, but they don't have Sexton. I saw on their roster. Yeah, they don't have the Sexton salary on Hoops Hype either. So I was seeing them mm-hmm. at one thirty two minus what Sexton's going to be making, which is I believe was like seventy two over four years. Yeah, yeah. So they're probably back over the tax. 
Uh, although they did complete a sign-in trade, so they must be under the apron. You, you can't they do are, a sign-in trade and go over the apron at any point. They are hard-capped up now. Yeah. I don't know. What do you, you guys think about any of the Utah young, young guys? Like, Do you worry about this team being still potentially too good? I mean, we think the Spurs are going to be historically bad. We think the Rockets are still going to be bad. We think the Thunder are going to go all in the tank. Orlando is still going to be really bad. And I mean, are they, are they the fifth worst team in the league? I mean, if if they, as long as they don't play their veterans, I think they'll be really, really bad. Um, and essentially that comes down to the question that you asked, Nate, which is what's the difference between Donovan Mitchell and Colin Sexton when they're both scoring, you know, 24 points on 57% true shooting. And the difference is that, like Aaron pointed out, Colin Sexton put those numbers up on the worst offense in the league, whereas Donovan Mitchell put those numbers up on the best offense in the league. And so one of these guys is getting numbers in a way that doesn't elevate your team's offense and therefore isn't actually going to contribute to winning, whereas Donovan Mitchell um, is, you know, like I said, and the reason I'm abstractly in favor of the trade for Cleveland is Donovan Mitchell actually does drive really good offense. He's He's been the centerpiece of the best offense in the league. And so I, I don't really have a lot of concern about the Jazz being too good, as long as they don't play. Like, if you put Bogdanovich and Jordan Clarkson and, like, God forbid, Mike Conley, like, you'll get, you know, 35 wins and there'll be everyone will be fucking miserable. But as long as you don't play any of those <laughs> veterans, then you're fine. I don't even think those veterans will save them. This team's going to be really, really bad. They'll move those guys, though. I think the, the question that I wanted to ask you guys is... Obviously, this is a really good uh, package that the Jazz have got for Mitchell. Are you guys sure that it's better than what the Knicks were offering? Which, to to reiterate, is like RJ Barrett, three first, Obi Toppin, um, maybe like Quinton Grimes or something. So, but essentially, it's three first Barrett and Toppin is, is the big value. I'll say this in full confidence: that that offer is never on the table. The Knicks never made that offer. If the Knicks had made that offer, there is no way in hell Utah turned that down. That offer is insanity. They could have offered just Barrett in three firsts, and Utah should have taken that over the Cleveland package. I think it was just the Knicks people being like, oh, we tried, but I don't think that deal ever happened. I put 100% blame on Danny Ainge. I think that was offered. I think Ainge continued to press and ask for more until he lost his leverage. Like as soon as RJ Barrett signed that um, that that extension, I think I think it was panic time in Utah where they were like, "Oh fuck!" Now we have to trade with someone else. I think he was going to try to keep pressing. New York has a ton of assets. It's they've got all those picks that are mid-teens protected. I know for the Pistons, for the Wizards, um, they've got a future Milwaukee. But like, I think Danny Ainge kept pressing his. His leverage kept trying to get more. I mean, how many times have we seen this before with Danny, where he's in trade negotiations for this great player, this great package, and he like keeps trying to like negotiate, and then eventually it walks away. He's the guy that turned down the AD trade, turned down the Kawhi trade, turned down the Paul George trade. Is he the guy that turned down the trade, or is he the guy that just kept asking for more and didn't eventually get it, and then was kind of left holding the bag? That's that's kind of what I feel like happened here. Yeah. I mean, you've got to like um, sometimes, you know, think a little bit critically about reports because like all these guys are biases and they're getting the information from somewhere. But, you know, Woj straight up said that um, the Knicks offered that, that trade that I mentioned of RJ, Toppin, and three unprotected first round picks. And so, you know, maybe the truth is somewhere in between where like, like you said, they did offer it, 
but you know Ainge wanted more. But I think that's a better deal than than what he got. I think RJ Barrett is better than as, as a prospect than Colin Sexton. Oh yeah, um, and three picks are. are you know, three picks. The picks going out of Cleveland picks, like those picks aren't going to be good. We just said they've got the second best core in, of under twenty of twenty five and under players in the league. Like they're going to be good right through. Probably, you know, maybe not the I mean, what do they do. They did five, seven, nine. Maybe twenty twenty nine wouldn't be that good, but right through twenty twenty seven, they should still be good. Is Danny Ainge going to be alive in twenty twenty nine? That's way too far. That's way too far out. I don't think he's going to be running the team at that. point. I think I agree, I agree in, a, in a little bit where I um I think the most valuable asset in the world is New York Knicks unprotected picks. Um, you you could get LeBron for those. Those are like gold. Was it you that shared the graphic of every team's win percentage since two thousand? I don't th- I don't think I, I don't think so. So uh, I was scrolling around, I saw it, and naturally the Spurs are just insane. Uh, like seventy percent. Yeah, but the Knicks were like at the bottom because they've just not had any good runs and really if if i ever hear someone our age tell me that the nba is good when the knicks are good i just want to slap them because i'm like tell me do, do you remember that patrick ewing run in 94 when i was two like do, do, <laughs> do you remember that because if not do, do you remember their 99 run to the championship with from the eighth seed like what, what do you mean the nba is good when the knicks are good because they remember Lynn Sanity, Nate. Oh my god, they do. They do. I can't convince people that Lynn Sanity was not a thing. It's kind of a thing. People no. ask me occasionally because I make the those graphs and whatnot. They'll be like, "Can I see what Lynn Sanity looks like on these charts?" And I'm like, "You can't see it. It doesn't <laughs> exist. It's not real. It happened over the course of like a week. It never happened." Um, his best season statistically is Houston the year after. I don't know. I I feel like I'm breaking. I break like 14 year old kids' hearts on TikTok by telling them that he was actually better in Houston. He had a six game stretch where his numbers were comparable to Steve Nash's. That is it. And you want to know what game happened? winners though? You want to know what happened earlier that season? Tony Tony Douglas had a 30 point outing. Had a a six game stretch under the Mike D'Antoni offense where he was running the point guard good stretch and was fantastic. His numbers were better than Linsanity's numbers that year. It's just the D'Antoni offense that when you put a point guard in it, they have these insane numbers and it's it's not impressive. It it didn't lead to wins. He was out of the mm. I mean he was like off the team. It just you know there's ah, Linsanity was the most overhyped weird thing. Uh, of my lifetime and i can't convince people that don't follow basketball closely that this wasn't a thing i had made a video asking people for their basketball hot takes or sports hot takes and the top comment or at least one of the top five comments was saying that jeremy lynn would have been a superstar if carmelo wasn't so selfish people believe this stuff that was insane Mm. well that kind of raises the question of the knicks haven't been good since nate was two years old this was their chance to get a legitimate superstar. Are they a big loser in this? Should they have offered more? Or are they kind of, as some people have suggested, actually the winners by not having to add more and just give up you know, even more in terms of value for Donovan Mitchell? I think they're in a better spot. If they gave up Barrett and Toppin and Grimes and every pick they had, I think they cap out. I mean, it, it's a... Brunson and Mitchell led team all of a sudden with Randall and you maybe win 50 games. 
wait till the next guy. Someone's going to be unhappy. Bradley Beal's going to want to trade in two months. What does Bradley Beal get you? What does Donovan about Mitchell the same, get you? About the same as Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> how do you how do you build a contending team, Nate? Can you tell can you tell the King and Clippers fan in this podcast how do you build a championship roster? In all honesty, the Knicks are just the most dysfunctional team because like Yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the Lakers have proven you can be an absolute dumpster fire and just the least functional team. <laughs> And still win championships. Like, superstars fall into the Lakers' lap every day. And, like, it makes me a bit ashamed to be a Lakers fan how easy it is for them. But yet, New York still finds a way to fuck it up. The Knicks (laughs) still find a way. Like, everyone wants to come play in the Big Apple. You just have to show a minimal level of competence and, like, loyalty to your guys. And, like, they will find a way to, to be there for you. They could have had Durant and Kyrie Irving if they had just been a marginally competent franchise. Like Brooklyn had gotten to 500 with a bunch of no-name guys and Durant and Kyrie were like, great, that's where we're going to set up shop. Like, just just do that. Just get to a mid-level of competence. It's what the Cleve- or it's what um, the Clippers did with the Tobias Harris-led team that got to like a minimum level of competence. Just do that. Don't take these big swings. Make some smart moves. Be about 500 for two or three years, and someone will come to you. Don't, like, I heard Leon Rose didn't want to repeat the mistakes of Carmelo Anthony of making this big swing, and I think that's kind of right. Like, this is not Cleveland. This is not Minnesota. People will actually go to New York. Like, don't trade your assets for them. Just for some context, the Knicks have won one playoff series since 2000. In the Eastern Conference, I think the Hornets have won. They have, I think they have won. I, I don't know. They that. have I won. No, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> but they might have. They might have just one less, which is really impressive because they actually they haven't been around. Um, let me double check. I mean, they certainly don't have the pedigree. They don't have the market size. Like, my God, what what Hornets? There's like six options. The timeline drives uh, me crazy. The Pelicans. The the Charlotte. Yeah. Going back pre-Bobcats, uh, the old Hornets that are now Pelicans, but then gave their history back, made the semifinals twice. So they've won two playoff series. Yeah. And they started in 2003. Kind of. I, I don't want to talk about well, it. No, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the old one. It's the, it's the one prior that, that won the series. But there have been two second round appearances in Charlotte, which is more than there's been in New York. So that counts for something i'm just saying well then to your point nate do you think that the knicks are actually building the right way then they passed up supposedly on overpaying to get a superstar in they're going to be about a 500 team with like reasonable competence just like you wanted um they're still building towards having some cap space are the knicks actually heading in the right direction we, we haven't I, heard anything dumb from James Dolan in a few years like he finally figured out if you just shut the fuck up like people will like your team <laughs> I mean, I think so. I, I think they're heading towards competence. Um, I love Julius Randle, like, unabashedly, but he is not a good player. Like, my my personal feelings about Julius Randle are kind of like the dog that shits on your rug, but you, like, still love your dog. <laughs> a great analogy, Nate. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> my wife's dog uh, has recently taken to shitting on the rug, so... It's it's fresh in my mind. Your wife's dog? Is that is that not your dog? You guys have separate dogs? <laughs> uh, 
It's just separate. You guys live in the same house. Mitch, <laughs> <laughs> like, right, if you're getting a dog, it's your fucking dog. I'm not walking your dog. I'm not feeding your dog. <laughs> your dog sits on the carpet. That's your shit on the carpet, not mine. It's, uh, my, my wife had a dog that had puppies when she was younger and still living at her parents. Um, and then one of those puppies was living with her parents for years, and then it, it just got to be too much for her parents. So we've adopted this. So it like has a long history with my wife and knows her from literally its birth because my wife was there for it. And then now it's just like, oh, you're the other human. It doesn't doesn't like me at all. <laughs> you know, you had the explanation ready. I respect it. I want to point out something about the Knicks where Dylan mentioned they are kind of building in the right way, but I want to bring up that this is third year Tom Thibodeau. It, it makes me a little bit it's nervous. A it's, a bad, it's a bad place to be. And even, if they, even if they've done all the right things, um, it kind of scares me. Guys, just stop listening. Donovan Mitchell yeah. did not play defense last year, and he's going to be asked... Um, had he gone to the Knicks to play like a ton of defense, and you know, maybe that was the right call. Yeah, can't piss him off. Maybe maybe Thibodeau said no. He's like, I don't want him. He doesn't play defense. Who who gets a ring first? The Utah or Jazz? The Cleveland Cavaliers or the Knicks? Man, <laughs> wow. I I think the sun death of the Earth uh, comes faster than that. <laughs> I would take the Cavs. I mean, we talked about this. The Cavs are in a, yeah, a really like, fantastic spot. I, I think I would take the Jazz last. Um, what if because... the Jazz were guaranteed to get Victor Wimbenyama? They're not, but just just saying, what if? Like, if everything goes according to plan, they get Victor Wimbenyama. I'd still yeah. like the Knicks' chances just to luck into a superstar on accident. Yeah. And also, like, there's one thing that we've discovered over the last couple seasons as we've gone away from like these teams that dominate the regular season that we know are destined for the finals and then make the finals and win a championship. And we've sort of gone to more just like, you've got to be in the conversation and then things will, you know, you hope that things fall your way and then all of a sudden you're in the finals or you're a champion. Um, mm-hmm. The Cavs are going to be like hanging around. They're going to be in the conversation for the next, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. You know, that that gives you alone a little, you know, a reasonable chance at getting a championship. It'd be a place people want to play. Like you know, half decent free agents that they could they have this this core of four guys and it's exciting. Yeah. Well, I made a point of saying that they kept their twenty twenty four pick, which was very important. Do you know why that is very important? Because they have no small forwards, the most important position in basketball. Kind of, kind of. Do you know what is happening in twenty twenty four? I don't. Bronny James is draft eligible. And LeBron James is a free agent. Gentlemen, can I ask you, when is the last time Cleveland has signed a top-tier free agent? Is it exactly 10 years before 2024? It is the last time they signed LeBron James. I'm just saying, I think the homecoming is happening. They kept the pick to bring in and Bronny. LeBron goes there too. That's your championship team. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I, I want the Cavs to, to win without LeBron. They can win without LeBron. They don't need LeBron to win a title right now. They're like one smart move away from like just being their own title contender without having to do this song and dance again. I don't know. Do you remember when the Cavs, or not when the Cavs, when the Celtics were in their playoff run and there's like the the Ninja Turtles meme of like Shredder leading the four young Ninja Turtles and they like dubbed it Al Horford and then the young guys. And then there's mm-hmm. like all the, the grown up turtles taking care of Shredder. That could be like Cleveland. You know, LeBron carried them when they were young. And now the Cleveland's risen up and they get to carry LeBron to his 
fifth title so that way he can try to get closer to Jordan? Jordan didn't start letting that happen. It's <laughs> <laughs> not going to happen. Cavs are like about to ink the deal with jo- with uh, LeBron and Jordan just calls him. He's like, listen, I will trade you LaMelo Ball straight into that cap space. Just, just <laughs> take him. The cap space will be gone, but just take him. I think we're, we kind of overlook just one of the strangest scenarios in NBA history coming up in LeBron's free agency and his son, who probably isn't good enough to be an NBA player, possibly becoming an NBA player. LeBron has always signed. I mean, he's He just got extended for just like, for like $50 million. Yeah. Is he going to take like the minimum? Are they going to have to clear space for 40-year-old LeBron? Like, What direction are we heading in with that? I don't know that he'll ever take the minimum, but I do think he'll take a sizable pay cut. He's even kind of said as much of like, at that point, he'll have all the money in the world. He wants to play with his son. So it's a billionaire. You know, yeah, like like if he takes a mid-level or something, you know, just, just something to pass the time. I mean, the Cavs just drafted Evan Mobley's brother. That's probably not a good sign for what I'm hoping yeah. doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. They're just the nepotism. Dylan, do you remember when the Clippers drafted Blake Griffin's brother? Did they? I, th- I thought like the Knicks drafted him. Was it? I, I could have sworn that he made his way to... Hey, like Griffin. The Phoenix Suns. Phoenix Suns drafted him. Dylan, are we still here? Am I gone? I'm, I'm with you. Is Nate here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Nate's here anymore. All right. When are we going to have a pod where you just talk about cap space? <laughs> we can't let the offseason pass without the full cap space pod. I think Nate's back. Hey, Nate. I'm back. He's back. <laughs> Did he make his way to the Clippers? I never know. <laughs> uh, he was drafted by the Suns, and that was the only NBA team that he ever played for. All right. But to your point, I actually don't mind like teams wasting a roster spot for like your star players, bro. With, with a literally like Thanasis on the Bucks or like um, Eric Pascal on the Jazz or what's the that random European guy that sucks that's on the Nuggets because he's Jokic's friend? Facundo Campazzo? No, it's someone worse than that. Worse like, than that, oh my god. <laughs> I, I, I don't, like, it's superstar guys get to have their guy. Like, Shaq had Mark Madsen, Mad Dog Madsen. Like, everyone eventually kind of gets their guy. And you hope he's good. You hope he's competent. Like, you know, Kobe had Fisher, and at least Fisher was like a starting level point guard. But I, I think if you're a superstar, you get to have your guy. And, and I think if LeBron really wants to play with his son, some team will draft his son at a position higher than he should go. Is it a uh, Vladko Chanchar? Yeah, Vladko. Yeah, he, he's in the NBA because he's friends with Jokic, which I don't mind. A good friend to have. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, as long as you have like a minimum competency that. You know, the team can at least say, like, hey, this is kind of nepotism, but also, like, he is a basketball player. If we had to put him out there, we wouldn't just get roasted. Like, I couldn't become best friends with Durant and then get signed to a team because if someone saw me on a team, they'd just be like, what the fuck is that guy doing? If you were best friends with Durant, you'd at least be in the conversation for Brooklyn Nets' next general manager. That's the next step for this pod. One of us has to be friends with Kyrie or KD, and we're going to be Nets players. <laughs> Are any of you guys like 6'10"? Because I think they need a center. Oh, my gosh. The only thing that I want to see out of this next year, because I'm pretty sure that this doesn't really change Cleveland's outlook for next year. Like, yay, they're out of the play-in. I don't know if they're out of the first round. But the thing that I want to see from this is I want to see Leandro Balmaro 
get 30 minutes tonight. Me quietly typing Leandro Balmoro into my laptop <laughs> to see who the hell Dylan's talking about. <laughs> yeah. So Leandro Balmoro was one of those like kind of draft and stash guys, late first round pick two years ago. Um, but he's an six foot six left-handed Argentinian shooting guard who studied quite literally mono- like at the Mono Ginobili Academy. Like he grew up with money put into the Argentinian basketball system from Mono Ginobili with coaches from Mono Ginobili. And like, like this is like almost Maxi Kleber to Dirk with like having the same guy from the small town. Like, I just, I just want to see this guy have the best possible chance to succeed because I want another Manu in the league. I was really hoping for the, that guy, the Kings traded for Sasha Pavlicic. No, it's, um, Vezinkov, if I'm pronouncing mm. that correctly. Yeah, the, the EuroLeague MVP. 6'9", he was a lefty. I was like, this is going to be great. It's like Peja again. Kings are coming back together, but he ended up not coming over. I was bummed about. Uh-huh. I, I, really quickly, just a mini rant. I think he wanted more money than we were going to give him. I thought it was so stupid. If it was like over a, a few million bucks, we have we need wing depth. Fuck Matthew Delvedova. Like, Come on, like sign this guy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Deli's there for vibes. <laughs> He's the vibes are important. The vibes are important. The vibes Isn't like it? right by the tunnel at the very end of the bench are going to be fantastic. <laughs> this isn't Denver where just you know you can get away with signing DeAndre Jordan. Like you got to have some good vibes. This would be such a disappointing Denver season if that's how this ends. It's like well they got to the playoffs and they played DeAndre ten minutes a game and he sucked. Like yeah, they were negative thirty four in DeAndre's eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With that, I think we wrap on this point, just straight up. All the all the teams involved or involved by being not involved in the case of the Knicks, did they win in this trade? Did the Cavs win? Did the Jazz win? Did the Knicks win? And everyone can be winners or everyone can be losers. This isn't, you know, absolute advantage. Who 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 are the winners from this move? Like the leader soft name? Well, I, for as much spice as I've brought to this podcast and disagreeing, I think everybody accomplished their end goal in this. The Cavs are better. I don't know if they're necessarily that much better, but they are better. So I think they need to be called a winner. Utah is worse and has more assets. And this is probably the best deal left on the table for them um, after the Knicks kind of walked away. So I think they are winners. And I think New York was smart in walking away, um, even as much as it would be nice to see them have a star. I think being a middling competent franchise is all they need to just wait for the next star to come to them in the offseason. So I I think we have three winners here. I totally agree. Everyone has their end goal. It's a successful shuffling of NBA talent. I don't think it's going to be massive, massive seismic changes next season. I I love the Cavs core, as we mentioned, going forward. I I think you're looking at one of the best teams in the league. If Evan Moby Moby can be as good as we think he is. But even if he isn't, it's going to be a good team. And the Knicks uh, avoided uh, overpaying for Donovan Mitchell. I agree. The, the Cavs needed someone to drive efficient offense. They got that. The Jazz needed pieces to rebuild and clear off some of their veterans, and they got that. And the Knicks need to just not overpay for a star when they're not in a position to win right now. And they did that. So winners all around. Good business. Well, gentlemen, where can people find you? Possible chairs on TikTok. Make basketball content. 
Um, and the the comment section, liking comments, saying that Linsanity was real and on possible chairs on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find me here, as well as Hoops Temple at TikTok. Thanks for listening. Nate's bedtime. He's trying to go to bed. Oh, it was so, so my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs>